0: is real
1: there's power in your name we find hope and trust in your ways we need
0: Jesus is real God asked each one of us to keep the fires of our hearts burning the priest's job was to keep that fire stoked And let's be honest, we all live and we move and we have our being and we struggle to keep that fire burning, don't we? Life, circumstances happen and we lose the flame, we lose the the heat, we lose the fire. This little light of
1: mine, I'm going to let it shine. Not only is this Bible song a favorite of many children, but as you'll hear today, It contains a message that God wants you to take to heart. As you continue this study of Leviticus, Pastor Daniel urges you to keep the fire of your heart burning brightly. Just like one of the temple priests' primary roles was to keep the sacrificial fire going, God wants you to keep your heart open and warm to Him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Leviticus chapter 6, as he begins his message, The Sacrifice Recap.
0: I love the book of Leviticus, but I know that for most of you, the book of Leviticus is where your Bible reading in a year plan dies. That's, it's like the, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year graveyard is Leviticus. Because you get a little ways into it and you're like, what is going on? What does this mean? Well, okay, I'm just going to skip to Psalms, right? Isn't that kind of how it goes? Can we all just agree that that's kind of how Leviticus functions? But there's a lot in here. There's a lot in here. Because remember, the, the most common phrase in the book of Leviticus is, be holy as I, the Lord your God, am holy. So it's a book about holiness. And one of the biggest needs that we have, I believe, in the 21st century West that we live in is a recovery of the holiness of God. Because when you think about that word holy, it means to be other, to be distinct. And most of, when you look at Humanity, humanity understands what it is, but we have very little awareness of the otherness of God. I think it was Voltaire who said that God created us in his image and we've been returning the favor ever since. And most people, us included, we have a tendency to think that God is like us. When God is holy, he's completely different from us, he's other. Unique. And we do not want to conform God in our minds into our image because that's impossible. We want him to conform us into his image. So we want to be changed, to be like the God who created and who sustains everything. And if you're ever like, well, what's God like? Check out Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is what God looks like in flesh. The way, you know, we always say that Jesus is God-like, but very often we don't remember that God is Jesus-like. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of who God is. And God wants to conform each one of us to have the resurrected life of Jesus live through us with our gifts and talents and circumstances. So, as we move into Leviticus chapter 6 today, What we're going to find is, I call this the sacrifice recap, because remember, this whole series, really Leviticus chapters 1 to 7, it focuses on five sacrifices. And what's interesting, if you've been traveling with us, we've seen each one of those five sacrifices. But now we go back and it's a recap. Now why? Why is there a recap? Because as we study these sacrifices again, what you're going to find now is that whereas the, the first five chapters explains the sacrifice for the worshiper. Now, chapter 6 and 7, we see the same sacrifices, but as it relates to the priests and what they are doing. So you're seeing the sacrifice now not from, I am the offer of a sacrifice and how does this all work. Now, this is primarily an instruction book for the priests. Now, if you're thinking about why the Bible is what it is and how it is, This is, this chapter and these chapters that we're going to see is one of the reasons why Bible scholars started talking about something called source theory, where, and I'm going to explain it to you, most people, when you think about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy, everyone says, oh yeah, Moses wrote those books. That's kind of like your standard, the average person who goes to church says, oh yeah, the Torah was written by Moses. Now, what's interesting about it is it really doesn't say anywhere that Moses wrote these books. But that's just kind of like, and I think because in, when, they, when uh, they translated the Bible, that became the, the King James translation, they put the first book of Moses, Genesis, the second book of Moses. And so it, it kind of just ran right into kind of just the average way people thought that these books were written by Moses. But then when people started reading it post-Enlightenment or during the Enlightenment with all the ideas of criticism and literary criticism, they started saying, well, if Moses really wrote it, how, why would Moses say that he was the most humble man who ever lived? Like, with the Holy Spirit really let him do that? How did Moses write about his own death and burial? You know what I mean? Like, they're pretty good questions, right? And so one of, the, one of the theories, and I say that it's a theory because I don't know that I buy it, but it has some plausibility, is something that they call source theory, which means that the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Torah, the Pentateuch, was compiled from a number of different sources. And scholars would tell you it's P. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. You can just skip over this. We'll get to a lot of other things. But the idea is is that there are different sources that these were compiled later, put together at a later date. I mean, do you ever wonder, like, when were these first five books, when were they written? When did they come together? Is there a reason why they came together in the way that they did? I mean, these are great questions. It's one of the blessings of the Enlightenment thinking that it has on the Bible. And so these chapters, because we've already seen all of them, now we go back to those same ones, but it's the priestly manual. They say, oh, one of those sources, J, E, D, and P, P is the priestly source, that there was some text written for the priests on how do we do all these things, and why do we do them, and what's important. And these chapters show, like, hey, look, you see, this is, we've seen the sacrifice, now we see how does it work for the priests. So we go back around again. So that's where that source theory comes from. The reason I bring it up is because what happens for a lot of people is that you grow up in church, you know, Moses wrote this, and then you end up going to college, and then you go into like a religion of the Western world class, and they tell you, oh, the first five books was not written by Moses, written by four different sources and compiled later, and people who grew up their whole life thinking that the only way to read the Bible was that it was all written by Moses, their faith gets taken apart in college. Because all of a sudden, you're hearing all these different things. I want to bring these things up because if you're sharing your faith, and I hope that you do, and you're talking with people, you're going to have people be like, well, you know, what about source criticism? How does that work? And you're going to be like, what? So part of what we do is we want to be able to be educated with the tools of what it means. And so I don't think there's anything really wrong with the source theory. It's still a theory, though. I don't know if it even matters who is inspired because we know that the text is inspired. You know, inspiration always speaks of an author behind a human author. It always does. So even if there's disputes over who the author was, it's really about the author behind the author, right? Bozo the Clown could have been the the person who wrote it down. If the Holy Spirit inspired Bozo the Clown, it still inspired Dex. Doesn't that make sense? So it doesn't really matter who the sources are, but I bring it up because as we go back into this again, you start to see, oh, okay, we're doing these same sacrifices, but now we're looking at it from a different angle, from how this works for the priest. So we're picking up Leviticus chapter 6, verse 8. We're going to see all five sacrifices again. Look at what it says. Leviticus 6, verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron... And his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth upon the altar all night until morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and his linen trousers, he shall put on his body and take up the ashes of the burnt offering, which the fire has consumed on the altar, and he shall put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments, put on other garments, and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not be put out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and lay the burnt offering in order on it. He shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. A fire shall always be burning on the altar. It shall never go out. So now, again, we saw this in Leviticus chapter 1, the idea of the burnt offering. Now we get specifics for the priests. Notice just a few quick things. Who is the Lord commanding? He's commanding Aaron and his sons. So this again, this is the priestly tribes. Okay, Aaron was a descendant from Levi. He was the brother of Moses. They had responsibility for the priestly duties. Now, notice There's a few emphases here that we really want to see. First, one of the emphases in these verses is about keeping the fire perpetually burning. You notice that kept popping up? You need to put wood on it, you need to keep it burning perpetually. So for the, the altar of sacrifice, it needed to have perpetual fire on it so that they could keep offering sacrifices. And you could imagine if you were there at the tabernacle or later at the temple that there would be sacrifices going all the time. There'd be lots of people, lots of sacrifices. Now, how do we apply this to our lives? Quite simply that God asks each one of us to keep the fires of our hearts burning. The priest's job was to keep that fire stoked. And let's be honest, we all live and we move and we have our being and we struggle to keep that fire burning, don't we? Life, circumstances happen, and we lose the flame, we lose the the heat, we lose the fire. And what's interesting is that almost everything in our lives is meant to draw us away, to keep us from burning brightly. And God gave the priests, which we are all a kingdom of priests, he gave us a responsibility to keep that fire burning. And so we need to keep stoking that fire out, right? How many of you have ever, ever kept a bonfire or something? You had a, a fireplace, right? You got it needs air, it needs wood, and it needs a little prodding. And we need it. We need to keep those fires of our hearts burning bright. And if you're here today and you're like, "Man, I am not burning bright," you're in the right place. You came to the right place because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to blow on the fires of our hearts and he wants to take those smoldering embers and he wants to get them up into a rager again because God wants us to burn bright for him and he wants us to start forest fires. Everyone we bump into, they catch fire. That's what our jobs are. Our jobs are to let God excite us for who he is and everyone we come in, it's like every time you bump into someone, they light up. They light up. And that's who we want to be. We want to be people who everyone we bump into, they get a little scorched by Jesus in a good way. It's healthy. They're crispy, golden brown. You know what I mean? So you really want that. You need to keep those fires in your heart burning. And we also need to be able to identify, is the fire starting to get snuffed out and why? Part of keeping those fires of our hearts burning is being able to identify what kind of bums us out. What, what keeps us from burning bright? Are there situations or circumstances? Are there relationships that start to snuff out the fire of God in our lives? The priest had a responsibility to do that. So that's the first thing. Second, the Lord is concerned with the ashes. So you can imagine where all these burnt offerings, there's going to be all these ash all over the place. And so there is some cleanliness involved. And so notice what's fascinating about this, that it tells us that when the priests are working in the tabernacle and they do the temple area, they're wearing linen. But when they go to dump the ashes, they change their clothes. Now, that's interesting. Now, you've got to realize, linen, like today, linen is a very soft, breathable garment. And the priests were never allowed. They were always wearing linen or light, like cottony types of clothes. Why? Because God doesn't want our work. See, he didn't want the priest to be dripping with sweat, like, it's so hard to serve the Lord, because Jesus didn't come to be served, but the servant to give his life as a ransom for many. So the priests were never supposed to sweat. So God gave them breathable clothes. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's very important for us as children of God, as servants of the Lord, to not be like, give the impression that like serving the Lord, just a big old bummer, like, woe is me. It's an awesome privilege that we get to roll up our sleeves and get dirty in the name of Jesus. But God doesn't need our service. He is completely good the way He is. We serve as a response to His love. That's what we do. We serve in response to His love. But we should never be like, oh, woe is me. So hard being a servant of the Most High. Man, it's a privilege. I mean, if we just get to be a doorkeeper in the house of God, man, that's more than we deserve, right? If we get to do anything in Jesus' name, that's more than we deserve, and we have to be careful because, you know, they talk about burnout in ministry, and it's real, and the reason it's real is because oftentimes we try and do things in our own strength, and we do it for the wrong reasons. And God loves us too much when we do things in our own strength for the wrong reasons to give us the reinforcement that we're looking for. Because it's an idol, isn't it? I thank God every day. I thank God every day that I'm not trying to preach my way into heaven. That'd be a nightmare for me, for any pastor. You know what I mean? You're not trying to serve your way into heaven. You're getting to heaven. You're in God's family because of your faith in Jesus. It has nothing to do with what you do or don't do for him. It's all about what He has done for us, and because of what He has done for us, we respond to His finished work, and we get our—we roll up our sleeves and we do all sorts of things. But none of it is to get us saved. None of it is salvific. And so the priests wore linen. God didn't want His people to be sweating, sweating to the oldies, so to speak, you know, and the whole thing. He wanted them to be calm and relaxed. Because it's important. God didn't want the people to think that serving God was a burden. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. So when it was time to go take the ashes out, they changed their clothes. Their priestly garments went off and they were just, so to speak, taking out the trash. So very, very fascinating. And so the focus for us is these few things for the priests. Very simple Pretty elegant. We need to make sure we keep the fire burning in our heart. That fire should burn perpetually. Now, as we move to verse 14, we move into the grain offering as it exists for the priests. This is the law of the grain offerings. The sons of Aaron shall offer it on the altar before the Lord. He shall take from it his handful of fine flour of the grain offering, verse 15, with its oil and all the frankincense which is on the grain offering. He shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma. As a memorial to the Lord. And the remainder of it. Aaron and his son shall eat with unleavened bread. It shall be eaten in a a holy place. In the court of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings. Made by fire. It is most holy. Like the sin offering and the trespass offering. Verse 18. All the males among the children of Aaron. May eat it. It shall be a statute forever. In your generations, concerning the offerings made by fire to the Lord, everyone who touches them must be holy. Verse 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This is the offering of Aaron and his sons, which they shall offer to the Lord, beginning on the day when he is anointed, one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour as a daily grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it at night. It shall be made in a pan with oil. When it is mixed... You shall bring it in a baked the baked pieces of the grain offering you shall offer for a sweet aroma to the Lord the priest from among his sons who is anointed in his place shall offer is a statute forever to the Lord it shall be wholly burned for every grain offering for the priest shall be wholly burned it shall not be eaten now we dealt with much of this in Leviticus chapter 2, the idea of the grain offering. Now, first, I want you to notice, from verses 14 to 18, it's how are the priests meant to offer the grain offering that someone else brings. So someone else is the worshiper bringing the grain, and this is what they're supposed to to do with it. Notice, they take a handful of it, right, with its oil and its frankincense, and they shall burn it on the altar for a sweet aroma. Now, remember, we've been talking about this, and we're going to see this the Apostle Paul is going to take the same phrase, the sweet aroma to the Lord. He's going to use it in Ephesians chapter 5, which we're going to hit on Sunday. But when we talk about it, the idea is it's something that's well-pleasing. So oftentimes pastors will make jokes like, the Lord loves a good barbecue. You know, because it says about, oh, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. The idea is that it's something that is well-pleasing to God. Okay, and so so the idea is that out of this grain offering that's coming, they take a handful with the oil and the frankincense. So not if, has anyone here ever baked bread? I worked at a bakery for for a number of years. And it's interesting when you would take oil and put it in bread, it would make the, the texture a little bit more silky. Very, very nice. The idea with frankincense, it gives it, it gives it some flavor and a scent to it. And so you can imagine when they take this handful of grain with a little oil and frankincense, they stick it on the fire. It's going to smell really nice. Right? So the first handful they offer, but then notice with whatever is left over, verse 16, the remainder of it Aaron and his sons shall eat with unleavened bread. It shall be eaten in a holy place in the court of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my offerings made by fire. It is most holy, like the offering, like the sin offering and the trespass offering. Now, notice that. So whatever isn't offered, out of the amount that's offered, a handful is actually burned and the rest of it is baked and the priests and their sons are allowed to eat it but not allowed to take it anywhere. It has to be eaten within the vicinity of the tabernacle, the court of the tabernacle or eventually the temple, which remember the temple in Solomon's time is going to become the the permanent structure. The tabernacle was a portable structure until the temple. So a certain amount of the grain offering was offered to the Lord, and the rest of it was used to feed the priests. And so, you know, I can make great jokes about the need to feed the pastor and all that stuff, but we'll just pass on that for right now. You guys do a good job of that anyway. Someone, I got cannolis dropped off at my office today, so praise God. And Twinkies on Sunday, so God help my diet. (laughs) And I just ate them with Thanksgiving. I said, Lord, bless these Twinkies to my body. Praise you, God. But hey, there's biblical mandate for such things. So praise God. But you got to realize that God wanted to take care of the priests as well. But notice, they needed to be reverent with what they were eating. Again, there's the prohibition against leaven. Why? Because God doesn't like yeast. God doesn't like Wonder Bread. No. Yeast is a picture. Leaven is a picture of sin. It always is. Why? Because leaven or yeast corrupts by puffing up. That's what it does. And you can, if you look into the, um, the way yeast actually works, it literally eats the gluten in wheat. That's what it does. And that's why it puffs up. It literally corrupts it from the inside. It literally goes and eats away at it. And because of it, it rises. So that's exactly what sin is, isn't it? Sin both eats away at us on the inside, and it also corrupts us by what? By puffing us up. Because you can look at pretty much every single sin that a person commits And its root is almost always pride. Why is the root always pride? Because remember what the first commandment is. You shall have no other gods before me. And in some ways, once you break that commandment, everything else follows. The reason we sin is because just like the serpent told Adam and Eve in the garden, if you eat it, you'll be like God. And the thing is is they didn't become like God. They just thought that they were. And when you and I rebel against God, it's because we think we know better than God. Our ways are better. Our desires are more important. Jesus is
1: real. Thanks for tuning in again with us as we continued in this study of Leviticus. Today, you were reminded that just as the priests tended the temple's sacrificial fire, God wants you to keep the fires of your heart growing strong. Pastor Daniel encouraged you to fight the things in your life that try to draw you away from the Lord. He said that God knows that it's hard to keep your focus on Him, so the Holy Spirit will work in you to fan the flames of your heart.
0: If you've enjoyed Pastor Daniel's teaching today on Jesus is Real Radio, we'd like to invite you to join us at Crossroads Community Church for our Sunday services at 8 a.m., 10 a.m., or 12 p.m. If you can't come in person, you can still be part of our vital congregation by tuning in to our live stream. Find out more at crossroadschurch.net. That's crossroadschurch.net. Hi, friends. Pastor Daniel here. I'd love for you to be part of the Crossroads Community Church family but I understand some of our listeners can't make it to the actual church building. If that's you, come join us online. We live stream our Sunday morning services at crossroadschurch.net. So grab a cup of coffee and join us wherever you are for our time of worship and teaching. Next time on Jesus is Real
1: Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his recap of the sacrificial laws from the priest's perspective. You'll hear the reasoning behind the things God asked the priest to do like not eating leaven because it's a picture of pride. Pastor Daniel will help you see that God is like a good parent. He loves his children tremendously. He wants to protect them from doing things that he knows will hurt them. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series Sacrifice. Till then, may God bless.